This time on Across the Peak, Rich and I are going to tell you how to throw a dinner party that will impress your friends or make you some new ones. Welcome to the Across the Peak podcast, the show where Rich and Justin discuss preparedness, the birds and the bees, guns, history, tattoos, and well, basically all the stuff your old man should have taught you. Rich Brown's a failed 70s child actor, retired Marine Corps officer and former cop. Justin Carroll, he's a washed up former special operator, half-assed author, and adventurer at large. Learn life skills, harden the fuck up, and become a dangerous man. Get your damn boots on, gents, because we're going across the peak rich what's going on man i am on a recording with my old pal justin carroll yeah man and uh we've been uh we've been busy today man so we've talked about this once before we talked about it toward the end of i think maybe the handguns episode a few weeks ago but we have been hard at work. You you listeners out there asked for it, and we delivered. The ATP store is up and running, and, uh, man, there is some cool, cool stuff in there. So uh, we've got some T-shirts, um, all of them with the ATP logo on the front, men's short sleeve tees with some sort of cool quote on the back, like live vicariously through yourself or hashtag ATPAF or competent and dangerous. We've got... Uh, a coffee mug that's awesome. We've got another uh, insulated double-walled stainless steel coffee uh, uh, mug tumbler. What is that? What you called it, Rich? Yeah, tumbler. That's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if it's in there quite yet, but it's coming. Uh, we've got all all kinds of stuff, man. You got to check this stuff out. It's all really good quality stuff. And hopefully, by the time this is out, we actually have photos of us using this stuff and. We don't get this crap for free, man. We got to pay for it just like everybody else. So uh, that should tell you something that we're paying for it, right? Oh yeah, and uh, the store is something. It's it's a bit of a labor of love, you know, that you and I and Kai have been working on for a while, and I'm excited to see people uh, wearing it. And when you do wear it, man, uh, post it on fucking Instagram. We'd love to see a picture of you wearing your your kit. Absolutely, man. We we definitely would, and we will. Uh, if you add us on Instagram, we will uh, we will greatly appreciate that. Yep, right on, brother. So what you drinking, man? I am drinking one of my old phase Baker's Bourbon. I've talked about it before. It's part of the Jim Beam Small Batch uh, series, and it's a tasty little treat. I really enjoy it, and uh, I actually just polished it off the other night. So, And it's one of those that I cannot get at my normal Good Times, the old Good Times liquor store, but uh, when I can get a hold of it, I always try to. It's, it's a good drink. I find that hard to believe, man. The old Good Times liquor store is... Man, they've. I, I'm real surprised that uh, they don't have something because they seem to have just about everything. Well, you know what happened. The 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 quick story is nobody was buying it. I think the price point was around fifty something dollars, and it it doesn't have the name recognition, say of uh, Blanton's or Booker's. So people just weren't buying it at that price. So um, the owner, uh, you know, gave gave me like seven bottles at, at like thirty bucks a pop, and just undersold it and she's like you know i'm not going to be able to get this in for a year or two my distributor or whatever you know i'm not going to carry it for a while now that i've had to sell out like that <clears throat> so uh it'll reset after a year or so of, of uh not carrying it but anyway that's the long story on that one gotcha gotcha well a little buzz marketing for uh, the old good times liquor store they are not our sponsor but good times if you're interested uh <laughs> yeah. across the peak 
That's right. What you got? What are you drinking, brother? Brother, I am drinking a chocolate stout that we just happened upon. We we live, I think I might have talked about this on the show before, but uh, here in Washington, D.C., we live right beside an amazing beer store. And Kai and I, believe it or not, man, we've actually been talking about the idea of opening up a beer store as being like kind of our long-term plan because we are so spoiled with this thing, man. Everywhere we go, we'll see a sign that says beer and wine and be like, hey, let's pop in this beer store, expecting that we're going to browse for like 30 minutes and find some cool thing we've never heard of. And almost universally, we're disappointed because we're just so spoiled by this one right by our house. Uh, we Every time we go in, we walk by and we're like, hey, let's pop in and see what they got because the rotating selection, all the stuff that you've never heard of and we found this beer called four hands chocolate stout and i don't remember where the four hands brewery is but man this is we had chili for supper tonight and uh a a nice bowl of chili and a hearty chocolate stout buddy this is hard to beat nice sounds delicious yeah that um I hear what you're saying man every time i go to some of these little small towns i end up finding myself in if you want to it, it, it's always interesting to see what they have. And I'll tell you, some one of the other things, we were in uh, out in the um, Rockies recently in a very, very small town. And uh, I remember going in there, and like Blanton's here in our store cost like 70 or 80 bucks. And there, it was like $57 for a bottle of Blanton's. So you just never know what you're going to find uh, or if you're going to find what you're looking for. So, yeah, the, some of those little out-of-the-way places, sometimes they're very expensive, sometimes they're not because they're trying to clear out the things that they don't normally move, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true, man. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of really good liquor stores here in the, uh, in the District of Columbia as well. But, um, yeah, man, I, I like going around and finding little local spots like that and popping in and sometimes you're surprised usually you're not usually you're not but sometimes you are <laughs> usually you're not so what did you do this week well uh so i shot uh the dot torture drill i'm getting real into that so unfortunately rich i'm kind of constrained to using an indoor range for most of my training sessions and what i've found with that is it is very very hard to use a shot timer uh, and as you know, if you're not putting yourself under some time pressure, it's really hard to, to push yourself to get better. So uh, I started, I, I've been leaning really heavily on the dot torture drill lately, which is not timed, uh, although you can put time pressure on it by trying to run the whole thing and say under five minutes, which you're hustling if you're, if you're making that happen. Uh, but I ran it four times with, I'm sorry, five times with four different guns. Um, I ran the first one with my Nighthawk uh, 1911. I ran the second one with a Smith & Wesson M&P Shield. I ran the third one with a uh, Smith & Wesson 686 revolver. And the fourth one with a uh, my Smith & Wesson 640 revolver. And uh, I'm very, very pleased with that, man. Uh, I shot it at five yards with everything except for that uh, little J-frame revolver, which I shot at three yards. Um, and I'm pretty reliably cleaning that drill. The first one, I think I shot a 49 out of 50, and I managed to uh, run the whole drill in about four minutes, so about four minutes and six seconds. So uh, really, really pleased with uh, with that. Uh, Kai and I also made a little bit of homemade sauerkraut and uh, vehicle PMs, and other than that, man, not too much. Damn, dude, you've been you've been getting after it. That's good. The dot torture drill. If you're not familiar with it, there, listener, it is a really interesting um drill and i think it's is it supposed to be shot at five yards or three yards or or do you know it's supposed to be shot at three uh, according to pistoltraining.com i i 
I've been reading into this quite a bit. They say shoot it at three, and if you're cleaning it, uh, put a little bit more pressure on by pushing it out further and putting yourself on on the clock. So basically, I just set my phone timer. I start it when I start the first drill, and I stop it at the end of the as soon as I finish the last drill. Um, and I, I don't want to I don't want to emphasize that time pressure too much because you're doing a lot of reholstering and stuff, and I don't want people to get careless with that. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal drill, man. It works. Uh, obviously marksmanship, strong hand only shooting, weak hand only shooting, reloads, transitioning to multiple targets, multiple shot engagements, just about everything you could possibly have to do. And it, you're able to do it on a very small range without a timer with uh, with 50 rounds of ammo. Yeah, I do like that drill, and I've, I've done it quite a bit. Um, and, and like you, we, we've moved back to the five-yard line. I think three yards is, is pretty easy if you can – clean it once or twice it's time to move back and then if you're cleaning it at five yards and maybe you start adding time i think uh, pistoltraining.com or whatever that that drill is located at does say if i'm not mistaken that you can add that pressure time but i agree with you justin it's not not necessary unless you're a very accomplished shooter to, to start doing that but you know talk to me a little bit i know we've got a really cool episode but i do want you to talk talk about something briefly that you mentioned <clears throat> And that was putting yourself under the, the shot timer because there are a lot of professional firearms instructors out there that say that's not necessary. Well, maybe not a lot, but there are definitely a few vocal ones. And, and you're a guy that's uh, been around the block a little bit. What, what do you think? Well, I, I, I think two things on that. I think it's one, it's a way to quantify progress. If I can do, um, I, I don't know, kind of my idea, my standard is at five yards to be able to draw from concealment and put one shot on a three by five card in a second and a half. Let's say that's arbitrarily where, where I want to be at. I, I'm never going to know if I'm at that point, if I never put it on the clock. And like, basically if I'm not putting it on the clock, I can draw as slow as I want. I can present out as slow as I want. I can take my time, get a nice crisp, crisp sight picture and make sure that shot hits where it's aiming at. But uh, I'm not putting myself under any pressure at all, and as a result, I'm not getting better. It, you know, I might be doing that in four seconds and, and think I'm just fine, but if I actually want to progress, I have to put myself under a little bit of pressure to do that. And it, we talked about this on the handguns episode too, all, also, Rich, is um, kind of having a standard of... Uh, I, I'm kind of trying to, in my head, and get this on paper eventually... Uh, develop a quantifiable set of these are the five things I want to be able to do with a handgun. I want to be able to get the gun out in X amount of time and get a, a shot on a very close range target. And that should be a very fast time. I want to get the gun out and be able to make a headshot at 25 yards under X time pressure. And I haven't really decided, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but whatever your capabilities are, uh, I think you should probably define those, what you want to be able to do and, and know what you're capable of and be confident in that capability. And you're not, I, I don't think you're going to get there without putting yourself under some sort of time pressure. Well, and he, I often hear this and, and I have a retort for it, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. You know, the people that say, well, there's no, there's no timer in a gunfight. What do you say to that? Well, that's, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, I, I, I don't know, man, that's such a, uh, you're absolutely right. There's no timer in a gunfight. Nobody's holding a, a clock on you in a in a gunfight. But gunfights are incredibly fast-paced events. Generally, the first person to connect with a round is the person that wins the fight. 
And if I'm not putting myself under pressure to get faster and faster and faster, I'm not actually going to get faster and faster. And in a gunfight, I'm probably not going to be very fast. Yeah, I would say I would submit that, you know, the, the, the people that say there's no timer in a gunfight, bro. Yeah, it's kind of the other person. And like you said, the person that gets a shot on target normally wins those events and they do happen quickly. So uh, the pressure of time is there. And one of, uh, you know, are you familiar with Jim Cirillo? Yes. Been in more gunfights than probably any any American, uh, modern American uh, law enforcement officer. And he said, you know, <clears throat> the stress of the timer would make his hands shake, but he didn't, his hands didn't shake in a gunfight. So putting yourself under that simulated stress in front of your peers or whether it's just you and the timer is an incredible thing to do. So like you, I'll get on to what I did this week. I use a shot timer too because I think they're incredibly important. Uh, and if you're not doing that, I think you're lying to yourself. It's like, oh, I do jujitsu, bro, by myself in my mom's basement. You know, you don't have the pressure of another person or something like that to measure yourself against. No, well then you're 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 just doing mental masturbation. Knock it off. So anyway, this week I did a little light lifting. Get, did a little jujitsu, man. Did a little. Um, did a little work around the farm, and that's about it. I didn't do anything cool like make homemade sauerkraut, uh, but uh, maybe I will in the future. I'm looking for some good recipes, actually. So if you got any good recipes, send them to rich at acrossthepeak.com. Uh, Justin and I would love to try those out. And uh, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, man. If somebody sends a really good recipe, Kai and I will we'll cook it and, and see what happens, man. We, uh, we cook just about every night, man. Yeah, so um, so what are we doing today? I know we got off on shot timers, and I, I blame myself for that little segue, but what are we going to talk about today? Well, uh, this episode is still kind of under a working title, but uh, the gist of this is why you should know how to entertain guests. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm back and forth on whether I want to call this how to throw a dinner party or how to entertain guests, but I think they're kind of synonymous. And uh, Kai and I thought of this episode a few weeks ago. We had a friend uh, over... And we we were kind of kind of on the fence. Uh, the friend was going to drive down. It was about a thirty minute drive down. Uh, we we're going to have a few drinks, and then we were going to walk somewhere around here and get dinner, or possibly just stay in for dinner because it was kind of a crappy night out. And the thing the thing that we started talking, and the thing we really love about that situation is we are really competent at being able to put a really, really good meal on the table without a whole lot of thought, without having to open a recipe book, without having to time everything down to the minute and all that stuff. And we were perfectly confident in that really flexible, loose plan of, okay, Beth's going to come over here. We're going to have a few drinks. Maybe we'll throw something on the stove and whip up dinner here. Maybe we'll go out. We've got everything we need. We know we have all the ingredients and everything. So if, if that's what we decide we want to do, it's it's not a showstopper for us. It doesn't put any stress on us whatsoever. Um, and I, I really, really like being able to feed my guests and have someone sit at my table and, and break bread with me and eat the food that I've prepared. We talked about that in the, I think, way back in episode nine. But um, that's what we're talking about. Okay, cool. Um, I'm in, dude. <laughs> At 30 years of marriage, uh, we've entertained a few people along the way, especially moving around uh, with the Marine Corps and 
having to entertain uh, groups of Marines that uh, stop by. But uh, so I, I'm I'm all over this one, man. Where do we start? Well, I think we should maybe start by talking about why you should know how to entertain guests, why you should know how to throw a dinner party, and I, I think a dinner party specifically, the traditional uh, cocktail hour mingle appetizers then a sit-down dinner and some sort of dessert um, is a really good model for this. It's a really good way to think about this um, because it's an incredibly scalable event, man. If you can take one or two or all 10 pieces of this and put them together, or you can just use, you can just have people over for cocktails, but from, this is scalable in depth from just having people over for a couple of drinks to having a multi-course dinner, it's very scalable in breadth from one person to as many as your table can handle, basically. Although um, I've, I've thrown one dinner party where we had, I think, 13 people over. And that was a bit of a handful, wrangling all those people and making drinks for everybody and cooking this huge prime rib and all that. But um, and, and it's very flexible in scope as well. It could be a celebration. It could be for a wake or a funeral. It could be uh, just because. It could be for any number of reasons. So I, I really, really like this dinner party model because it works for a bunch of different things. Well, where did you learn this? And I, and I asked because, uh, you know, maybe you and I grew up in a similar kind of situation uh, in, in a way. Um, is this something your parents did or something you picked up later in life? Uh, we're generalists, man. I know you didn't get to go to school for this. so. No, my, my parents definitely did not, uh, did not teach me that. My, my parents are extremely informal uh, when it comes to stuff like that. Um, you know, Rich, I, I was at a Marine Corps birthday ball in... I had been to a couple Marine Corps birthday balls before this, but I was, I was very young and more paying attention to the ladies that were there and drinking and whatever and not not really actually observing very much about how things went but I was at a Marine Corps birthday ball in Okinawa and I know okay we come in we have a have a couple beers and you know they serve us a shrimp cocktail and you know a few minutes later they serve dinner and you know you hang out a few minutes more and then they put dessert on the table and then you know everybody the dance floor opens up or whatever. Um, and this is kind of just through observation of having been to a bunch of dinner parties, having been to, uh, you know, invited to a bunch of people's homes, uh, you know, where this format kind of works. I, I'm sure there's a book out there on this. I, I guarantee there is probably dozens of them, but, uh, I kind of arrived at this just through observation. How about you? I, I was very fortunate when I turned, <clears throat> excuse me, when I, when I turned 30, uh, I'd been married about 12 years, and we I, I was running a recruiting substation, so we moved to this town, and um, the people in my neighborhood were all professors at this university. Uh, so they were a cultured lot, and uh, by going to their dinner parties and seeing kind of how the other half lives, and I was just blown away by uh, the thought and care that went into an evening event like that from where to put the knives and forks and spoons and correctly and just to put on a very, um, you know, a very, I'm not going to say professional, I don't know what the right word is, but just a cocktail party or an event like that and do it in a classy way that's something I'd never seen before and just fell in love with that concept from what kind of hors d'oeuvres that they serve to the way that they do it and the way that they uh, treat their guests. I'm like, man, this is how I want to do it. 
I love that too, man. And uh, you, you know, where where Kai and I are, uh, are at right now, we ju- we just don't have the space to throw a very formal party like that. I do love going to an event like that, uh, just just as kind of something different, man. Like we we go to a bunch of uh, you know we go to tailgate parties and you know the spectrum from tailgate parties to to black tie sit down dinners. Um, and, and, um, I, man, I think that's an important thing to teach your kids. I think that's an important thing to know yourself. Um, you know, I had a couple people that wouldn't come to, um, <clears throat> wouldn't come to my wedding, uh, which was not my wedding to Kai. I'm not married to Kai, but, uh, because it made up a bunch of weak excuses, but basically I think they were intimidated at having to go to a very formal event where, uh, there were going to be very formal place settings and all this stuff. And that's a crappy way to live, man. You, you, I, I think it's important to teach your kids this value of being well-rounded and being just as comfortable at a tailgate party as you are at, at a, you know, a black tie tuxedo thing with 18 forks and spoons at your place setting, right? 100%. And, you know, it's one of those things that anything that makes you reach that makes you uh, it makes you grow. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, well, I don't want to go to that because it's not like every other damn party I ever went to. It's like, come on, man, put your freaking tie on and go. You know, dress up. Take your let your girlfriend right. dress and, up. You know, and and probably you'll have a good time. And and I just I just don't like being intimidated by something like that. I don't like um, I don't like being the being thought of as the guy that like oh we we can't invite him to this because he's you know, he's not, <laughs> or, or the guy that has to decline that invitation because I'm not uh, well-rounded enough to uh, to go to it. Yeah, and I don't know that this is on our on here. I've actually, I've read through the notes that you put together on here a couple of times, but <clears throat> anyway, I guess we can get into it, and uh, if it doesn't come up, I'll add it here at the bottom, but uh, so what's next, Justin? Uh, so, so another re- like we boy, we got off on a big sidetrack there, uh, <laughs> but important stuff that I wish I had thrown in, man. I I um I, I do wish my parents had taught me that had, t- had taught me to be comfortable with you know maybe slightly more formal settings a little bit earlier in life, and I'm sure I would have hated it as a kid, but I definitely would have appreciated it as a young adult. But um, if if you can execute a dinner party well. It can be an amazing date, whether it's just you and that person. If you can go with this this format of drinks and appetizers, dinner and dessert and coffee or whatever, it can be an awesome knock-your-socks-off date. Um, awesome way, uh, incredibly good way to get to, new, to get to know new neighbors, your uh, new co-workers, maybe your old co-workers, make new friends or just a like really just a good way to enjoy old friends. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, this is something that we run up against in East Tennessee. It's like, are, are y'all putting on airs or something over there? You know, it's like, no, you know, we're, we're trying to, uh, you know, show you a nice evening, but, uh, yeah, I've encountered that. And, and I say that, Hey, you know, if it's not your scene, then hit the fucking road. But, uh, we do, my wife and I do enjoy having people over and, we try to, you know, up our game when it comes to some of these things. And, and, uh, we really enjoy from everything, you know, you know, being able to, to plan it out, uh, in advance. Uh, Cause I, what I used to do, Justin, this is, this is a mistake. I think <clears throat> it's just bring over a group of folks and it's not a planned out event. I think it works much, much better when you plan the setting in advance, 
you're well prepared for your guests to arrive, et cetera. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree. And uh, I, I got a couple thoughts on that. But before I get to that, as far as the putting on airs thing, I, I feel like you hear the phrase dinner party or whatever, and you think linen napkins and, you know, a butler walking around serving everybody and whatever. But this, like, basically this model of drinks and appetizers, dinner and dessert can be as as casual as beers and maybe some, uh, you know, some bacon-wrapped anything going around, you know, on a tray on the counter there, and then sitting down to, uh, to I don't know, barbecue, whatever, grilled steaks or whatever, all the way up through that very formal setting. But basically, this model, that's another way it's very scalable is in its formality. Would you agree? 100%. Absolutely. So as far as being able to prepare this and do it, do it planned out, and this is, I, I guess, especially to our listeners that are maybe in their 20s. Dude, if you can knock this out of the park in your 20s, you are way ahead of your time. You're going to impress the shit out of people. Like, hell, man, I wish I'd been able to do this in my 20s. But if you can do this, if you can nail this every time in a pre-planned environment, you are probably pretty damn well prepared for those people that just end up dropping by and you, you're you having a good time and you're like, oh, why don't you guys just stay for dinner uh, for your, you know, you have a friend in town that gets weathered in or whatever reason ends up being there unexpectedly overnight, you, you will be prepared to put on a good, pleasant meal for that person. Um, all kinds of situations where you might not be Basically doing this and it, like planning this in advance and executing it a few times prepares you really, really well for that unexpected occurrence. Yeah, you know, dinner parties, if you want to call them that, in my 20s when I was in the, a young Marine infantryman would have been, you know, getting several cases of beer and a trash can in the middle of the room and uh, a game of quarters going. I mean, it was it was about as, as pathetic as that. But I think as you grow up, and you learn, you get around the block a few times, you figure it out. So like Justin said, man, if you can figure this out in your 20s, you're going to be light years ahead of your peer group. That's for damn sure. And I tell you what, people are impressed with that, whether they'll admit it or not. If you, Especially if you have like <clears throat> coworkers over something like that and your intermediate boss comes by and you, you knock it out of the park and your wife looks the part and she can, you know, hold her own with you in that mixed company, I think you are going to, it's going to, it's going to pay dividends down the road, I believe. Absolutely, man. It makes you look like you have your shit together. Um, and, and yeah, if I, I can't think of a better example of what you said. If you, you know, your boss comes to, <laughs> comes to your house for dinner and you nail it, man, that's going to make you look like a really competent individual. Um, but in, anyway, there's more to this than just getting ahead at work. I, you know, again, not to get too woo-woo, but being able to to feed people in your home is is an age-old thing, man. Yeah, I mentioned this book once before. I read it, and I know that we've got a really good uh, book of the week coming up. But this this idea of the omnivorous ape, you know, where uh, being able to break bread with someone that that shit goes back hundreds of thousands of years, probably sharing a meal with someone. Uh, there's some really interesting psychological connection stuff going on there. So like Justin said, if you can knock this out of the park, yeah, it's going to pay off in ways that you, that are not readily apparent. So let's talk about guests, I guess, right? Yeah. So when you're, when you're, if this is an unexpected thing, I guess you don't really have a choice in your guests, but if you're putting together a dinner party, 
I would try to plan kind of a common theme among my guests. And the last big dinner party I threw, that was a few months ago, and that was about 13 or 14 people. It, it was a it was a big group of people. And everyone we chose for that party wasn't just invited at random. Mostly it was people from work um, and a couple people from outside work, but they knew all of our work people through a, a different association. And we kind of picked that group. We kind of picked the people we invited because we wanted people that had stuff in common. Um, I'm not just going to invite, throw a blanket invite out to everybody at my office because I don't, one, I don't really like everybody. Uh, and two, the, you know, the C-suite management has very different, uh, they're probably not going to be interested in talking about the same things that the people on my, you know, the, the construction workers on my level are going to be interested in talking about, right? Yeah, and I tell you, this is, uh, you brought up something I want to talk about quickly here. There, there's a way to really alienate people, and you can do that by by mixing company like this. I agree with your thoughts of it's work or neighbors, but probably not both if, if you can help it, because you may you may spend more time talking to your co- co-workers than you would your neighbors. Uh, so I, I think you, you do one or the other. But I also want to talk about uh, when it comes to guest selection, when I checked into Louisville to be the, the new operations officer, the recruiter instructor there said, uh, hey, sir, you know, we want to have a, a, you know, my wife and I every year, we have a big big get-together at our home, and, we, we, you know, we're going to invite everybody. So <clears throat> they invited the command staff, and I get the invitation, and it's very nice, and it says, you know, no children allowed, or some, some words to that effect, because him and his wife had chose not to have children. And uh, I, I, of course, had three kids, and I'm like, well, I don't go where my children are not invited. So I'm like, no, I declined the offer, didn't go. Uh, in the three years I was, well, the two years that he was there and had it, I never went be, uh, because he was kind of militant on his anti-children rhetoric. And um, I'm like, no, it's, 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 it really alienated me and some of the other folks that had kids just by the way that he put it out there. Like, you know, your kids are not invited. They're not welcome. Don't bring them. What do you think? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, going back to the first part of what you said of, of, I'm just going to throw this out to all my neighbors and all my work people and, you know, people from the guy that cuts my hair and whatever. You're going to have a bunch of disparate groups of people there. And and basically what's going to happen is they're going to form their own little subgroups within that group. Um, And that's probably going to happen anyway, but it's going to be much harder to bridge that divide if the, the basically the only common thread you probably have with all your neighbors is the virtue of the fact that you live in your neighborhood. So if you invite all neighbors, you guys are going to talk about, oh, what's going on with this house just went on the market and blah, blah, blah. If you have your work people, you're probably most, mostly going to be doing shop talk and talking trash about the boss and whatever else. It's going to be very hard to blend those two conversations once you sit down at the table, right? Oh, 100%. And, and, that, that's and, if, and if you spend... Yeah, if you spend all your time talking to your work people, your neighbors are gonna are you know are going to be like, well, that was you know it was a good meal, but uh, you know why why in the hell did he invite us? Because he just spent his time talking to his coworkers the whole time. Yeah, and this is you know I've I've been guilty of this one, and and it it felt awkward in the in the moment, and it and it was awkward, and I would just. I would never do that again. So uh, again, one way you can head that off right away is by. Uh, in, inviting guests with some kind of common theme. I would say the other way to maybe do this is just invite 
you know, one or two people from all these various places where you, you know, it's not, what you don't want to end up with is one or two groups that have a really strong connection, but not with each other. Uh, But if you've got 15 people there that all have, the only connection they have is a friendship or a acquaintance with you, then that might be a different situation too, because everybody's thrown in a situation where they don't have an immediate group to cluster to that, that can be good sometimes too, because it forces people to, you know, find things to talk about with among each other, uh, instead of just having, you know, two or three little groups cluster off and kind of segregate themselves. Yeah. On the mixing company, I've seen, I've seen it also blow up in terms of they would invite folks from their, uh, Christian group at church and their coworkers. And then, of course, uh, this one particular friend of ours that uh, had a party like this, he's running around going, now, now they don't know I drink and, and they don't know I cuss. So, And I'm like, what are you doing, man? What, why are you doing this? So it made this person look like a, a absolute two-faced, weird, you know, because he's acting one way around one set of people and another way around another set. And then as those people intermingled, they had nothing in common. It was just really awkward. Have you seen that? <laughs> Dude, I haven't seen that in particular, but man, that is really, really awkward and and str- and probably a lot of people went home and talked about that. Oh yeah, it was stressful for everybody, dude. And that guy, the he he was miserable and like, why did you did you think this was going to be a good idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. That's that's interesting, man. So uh, anyhow, um, let's talk about your responsibilities, the host, a little bit with your with your guests, even if you choose your guests perfectly you're probably still going to have little pockets of conversation uh, forming here and there. People, you know, people will break off in a group of three, four, five, and it's kind of your responsibility to, to go around and mingle with all those different pockets of conversation, not to just settle into one, no matter, you know, even if that's your favorite three people at that party, you're still the host. You need to interact with everybody, right? Yeah, and we had a Christmas party recently, and uh, with a company that I'm I'm affiliated with, and uh, of course I'm an officer in the company, and and that's really hard to do because you, you you like you said you have certain people you really like you want to be there with them, but we invited some some of our vendors and some other folks that that uh, support what we do, and I had to go around and mingle with them, even though some of them that throughout the year I, we had had some tension with, but this was a great opportunity to to ease that tension, so you definitely need to push yourself to get out there and mingle and make everyone feel, uh, I don't know, uh, it, you know, invited and, and thank them for being there, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, and likewise, if you're inviting people that don't know each other, uh, let's say you've got a, you know, a, let's say you're an independent contractor and you're inviting three or four couples from different companies you work with, or what, I'm just drawing an example out of the hat. It's, and they don't know each other. It's your responsibility to introduce everybody as they come in. And it, sometimes it can seem really repetitive to be like, Joe, this is John and Jan or whatever. It's, it seems really repetitive to do that, but that is your responsibility to do that. There shouldn't be a person there that comes in and doesn't, uh, doesn't get introduced to at least most of the people at the party and the people that you know, are busy doing something and you can't introduce them right away, you should at least point out who those people are because that, uh, that can really create some discomfort in that person that comes in and they're just thrown in with a bunch of people they don't know and no one's taking the time to kind of integrate them into the group. I think that's a great point, and I want to make this, uh, I want to give it a little bit of meat on the bones here. 
when you do those introductions, let's say uh, I'm going to introduce you to Kai and, and y'all work in a similar field and, and you don't know each other, right? I, I would say, you know, hey, this is, hey, Justin, this is Kai. Uh, Kai, this is Justin. And Kai, you may not know it, but Justin does XYZ for us and he's been a tremendous help. And you do something to fluff him up and, and position him and what he does for your organization. And then, and then the same when you go, hey, and, and Kai has been really instrumental in helping us with the acquisition of XYZ. And so it positions them to each other. And then if there's some shared connections that they can do business, maybe perhaps by virtue of coming to this party and, and move forward, then that's, that's on them. But at least you've put that together. What do you think? I love that, man. That is, uh, you're absolutely right about that. You should give them, dude. I couldn't have said it better myself. Give them each a little tidbit about the other. Give them something to talk about and something to go on. And they're going to form their own little conversation there. And you don't have to, you know, again, you don't have to stand there the whole time because it's just an awkward silence between the two of them. That That's excellent, man. Yeah, and I'll tell you uh, another pro tip on that introductions is don't try to be witty in that moment. A lot of people will really screw this up by trying to, make some little inside uh, innuendo about something that went on between them. That third party has no idea what you're talking about. They're not going to, they're not going to get the humor. Uh, they're not going to get the sarcasm. It's going to fall flat. It's going to embarrass everybody. So uh, I've seen it explode like that. And people have animosity for years. Like for example, uh, this one well-intentioned guy, boss, <clears throat> one of the coworkers had been doing some things at his, at his home and making sure some things flowed smoothly at his very large estate. And uh, that was just a thing he'd been doing on the side. And uh, when when they introduced him, he says, oh, this is my house manager. Ha, ha, ha. And that guy took that slight with him for years. How dare you? I am your ops manager, and you told him I was the house manager. And it just insulted the hell out of that guy. Uh, so when you position them, position them in the best possible light and leave the humor out of it. And I, I would say just generally probably stay away from, from inside jokes that you have with, you know, a portion of your group of guests. Uh, like no one, no one really likes to feel left out of that conversation. And, and if there's some, you know, if you're, if, if a conversation comes up about someone that one person in that group doesn't know and Oh man, this could probably be a whole episode about how to have a conversation with mixed company. But if something or someone comes up in that conversation that a person in that group doesn't know, uh, it, it's it, it's very good form to look over to that one person that's the outsider and be like, "Oh, uh, the person they're talking about is a person we work with, and he did this, and that's what they're." You know, you don't have to give them the whole backstory, but give them a very distilled version of it so they at least know what the hell's going on and, and don't feel completely lost in the conversation. Yeah, I think we uh, I could go on for a while on this. I'm going to cut it right there because uh, I think we probably should have an episode on that, as, as crazy as that sounds, because there are so many pitfalls in this when you start getting into gossip and all these other things that it, it deserves its own episode. So maybe we'll stop right there. I, I, I'll be honest, man. I... You know, a, a lot of this I have had to learn through hard-won experience through going to a bunch of weddings and going to a bunch of uh, parties at, at, you know, people's house that I, you know, maybe knew some of the people there, didn't know a bunch of the other people there, and just trying to have to kind of feel my way out. Having an episode on that, you know, 20 years ago 
would have been amazing to me, man, because I could have been like, oh, okay, here's kind of the rules of the road, how this thing goes. I, I love that idea. Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. So, uh, all right. So that's your guests, uh, kind of managing your guests and maintaining the conversation. And that, that ultimately is the most important part, man, is making sure those people have a memorable experience, have a good time and enjoy themselves and don't feel left out of left out or alienated or whatever. But, uh, let's also talk about the, uh, food and bed. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the drinks because, uh, like I said, you know, we have this one em- employee and this other business I'm associated with that will show up and get hammered every year. So one of the things we've done is we just went ahead and hired a, a legit ABC certified bartender and let them run it. So that way it's it, it's not management coming down on this guy. It's like, hey, man, the bartender says you're, you're cut off or whatever, you know, and then we just support the bartender's decision. And then that also... They're controlling the portion sizes. They're controlling the drink variety. We give them some basic guidelines on what we want and kind of turn it over to them. And And it's not that expensive. I want to say it was like, I don't know, 25 bucks an hour, plus they get a generous tip at the end or something like that, and then everybody tips them throughout the night. Um, so if you, if, if you can afford that or you can find one of those person, persons that will come over and do that for you, it might not be a bad idea. Man, I, I had never even thought of that. Um, and I, you know, I've thrown some parties where, and this is a, this is a point that we've got in here where I'm basically stuck behind the bar, like, well, not that I had a bar in my house, but stuck making drinks for people pretty much all night long, which I really, really enjoy. Uh, but also I want to be able to, you know, mingle with people other than the people that are just standing at the bar, at the bar area the whole night. So, um, I, 25 bucks an hour, man, hundred bucks, you're, you're set for the night. Yeah, and then like you said, Justin, you're not trapped behind there. You don't have people making their own booze and, and using way too much and or whatever, you know. And it, it keeps things very professional and orderly, if you will. Uh, and then that way, and also you have a control over the uh, alcoholic and non-alcoholic uh, beverage options. And now that, that can also present its own problems. Like we had uh, one bartender that's like, well, I'm going to serve this blush with appetizers and then we'll move into the reds for dessert. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's not going to work. If people want a red, I want them to have it immediately and they don't need to go through some crappy blush varietal before they get to the cab. But uh, yeah, but it, it, given the ability to steer them, man, and for a hundred, like you said, a hundred bucks and a, and a nice tip at the end of the night, it might be worth it for you. Yeah, that's not. I, I like that, man. I'd never thought of that. But uh, just being honest, most of us probably aren't going to do that. I've, I've at least not for something in our home. So, as far as managing this yourself on on the the quote unquote cocktail hour, and I I, I feel like again everyone hears that term and they think uh, you know tuxedos and you know hanging out at a wedding while the couple does their uh, their photos or whatever. But a cocktail hour is super informal it's basically just a chance for your guests to all get there because they're not going to all show up at the same time it's a chance for everyone to trickle in everyone to you know have a drink and loosen up and mingle with each other and get to you know shake hands with everybody that's at the party um but if you are doing the drinks yourself i'd say you want to offer uh something of a variety of drinks probably at a minimum uh, you know, it, depending on the formality of this, a red wine and a white wine, and maybe a couple different beers. If you're going to do cocktails, here's my recommendation. Uh, and let's say this is just, you know, Kai and I are having three couples over. 
um, we're probably going to have one or maybe two cocktails or maybe a cocktail and a mixed drink that we offer. Hey, we've got old fashions and we've got dark and stormies. We're not going to throw anything else out there uh, because basically I don't want to be stuck, you know, Tom Cruise behind the bar spinning bottles all night trying to make up, make whatever people can think of. Um, I want to have one or two drinks that I have down really, really well that I can make really quickly and easily and know they're going to be reliably good every single time. Um, so we're, so I'm going to have one or two cocktails. We, if this is very, if this is formal for us, we're going to have a red wine and a white wine available, and we're going to have two or three beers in the fridge that people can choose from and serve themselves on, uh, and a a couple non-alcoholic options. What, what would you say about that? I love it. And I'll give a couple things more, you know, like when, um, when you and I teach a class, we'll get the admin notes out of the way up front. And that is, where's the, where's the restrooms at, you know, um, Where's the trash cans at? So when they have a plate in their hand or an empty beer bottle, where where I'm supposed to put it, uh, show them, you know, we have mixed drinks here or on the front porch and the back porch, we've got a couple of buckets of ice with with beer and non-alcoholic drinks in it. So they know where those are, put some trash cans out there and bottle openers out there. I mean, set the stage and and give them the lay of the land so that they know up front so there's no awkwardness. Like, where, where do I put this, you know, stuff at? So. I like that yeah, a lot, man. I, I, I like that basically end brief to everybody that gets here. Hey, let me take your coat. Here's all the people. Okay, here's the bathroom. Here's the fridge. Help yourself to beer. If you want to drink, let so-and-so know. I, I, uh, that's going in my SOP, man. Sweet. That's that's all I had on that, man. What, what else we got? So cocktail hours, you're, you're probably also going to want some appetizers. And uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you probably focus mostly on what appetizers should not be. Uh, they shouldn't be super hard to eat, so probably don't want to have soup as an appetizer. Um, <laughs> That's good. It shouldn't be too messy, and they shouldn't be too filling. It should basically be something that people can just kind of nibble on. Maybe a uh, you know a a platter of chips and some uh, you know a couple different dips or uh, finger food, like basically one or two bite foods that you can handle with your fingers, and you know you may want to probably want to put out some little plates for that stuff, but, um, you don't want something you got to use a knife and a fork on because you want people to be able to, uh, snack on the stuff while they're walking around talking to people. I like the point about messy, you know, I've been to a lot of these where the appetizer is, um, like Buffalo wings and stuff like that. And, you know, that, that is just a, an absolute mess. They're going to get it all over them. I've never, never have been a, uh, been a fan of that. Also, if there's any kind of like, if you know someone has allergies before they come in and, and something's got nuts in it, you might want to let them know uh, up front or they've got a, a allergic to shellfish and you've got some shrimp in it or what have you. I think that's very important to get that out of the way. That's a great point, man. I, I And that should probably go into your guest selection, knowing kind of your guest preferences. If you know that Sharon from accounting does not like or does not eat beef and you're planning to serve a prime rib uh, you should probably have some sort of option for sharing or maybe just make something different altogether right yeah 100 percent. uh i think that's a res- respectable responsible thing to do but what if you're what if you're serving only heavy hors d'oeuvres have you ever been to one of these where the hors d'oeuvres kind of is the meal more or less yeah absolutely man and and i love it and that's and that's what i you know kind of what i meant by this is scalable um yeah, this could be just a couple of drinks and that's it. It could be just a couple of drinks and a cheese and meat plate, or it could be just a couple of drinks 
a, you know, a few drinks and heavy hors d'oeuvres and that's it. I, or all the way to a, uh, a sit down dinner. Yeah. I think, uh, in the 21st century, separating it out by, like you said, meat and cheese, uh, if they eat meat, they probably eat dairy. If, if they don't, you know, we have, uh, fruit, maybe we have non, uh, you know, non-gluten type things. I mean, the, the vegans, I mean, it gets a little weird, but I think you could easily break that down into three or four different categories and then separate those hors d'oeuvres by that, uh, may not be a bad idea and may show a little bit of care and sensitivity to those that are at your event. So yeah, generally what we'll put out is uh, some some cheese and meat on a cheese board uh, with some crackers, and so there, there's kind of a science to building a good a, a good cheese board. I, I'll I'm going to write an article on this for the blog, but generally we'll have a meat, a cheese like a hard sausage or something cut up, um, a cheese or two. We'll have some sort of uh, kind of sour element of you know little. Pickles or pickled, uh, I, I make these awesome pickled hot carrots that we'll just put a tiny little ramekin of, of those out there that people can use kind of as a palate cleanser and a sweet element. And uh, I'll, you know, again, I'll throw, a, I'll throw a, an example of that on the, uh, on the blog. But we'll typically also put out some crudite. Usually, like our go-to is kind of some, is like baby carrots, a cut up bell pepper, maybe some cauliflower or something like that. So there's kind of something there, like whatever your dietary needs or restrictions are, there's vegetables, there's meat, there's cheese, there's, you know, whatever. Yeah, I I agree. So anything else on apps before we move into the main course? I think that's about it, man. Uh, Except, you know, I, I think we probably hit on this peripherally, but those apps should probably be out as soon as people get there. Uh, or very shortly after people begin to arrive, um, just so you know, you can hand, you can give them the end brief, uh, hand them a drink, and they can kind of kind of be on their own. <clears throat> I, I agree, man. The, I've been to uh, these get-togethers where you know the invitation is, hey, you know, we're starting at six and until eight or say six to nine thirty or whatever. Okay, great. We arrive at six because I'm you know retired marine and we're prompt, and I get there and. It's just like, uh, well, uh, Dean is getting out of the shower, and I'm putting these appetizers together. I'm like, did I miss something? You mean leave and come back? I mean, what are we doing here? <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those things like, dude, you know, you want to – these things can really position you and your family in a positive light, or they can make you look like you're fucking a football. What do you think? Yeah, and this is something Kai and I talked about when we were when we were talking about making this episode – is that if you're throwing this party and you tell people to arrive at six, you should be ready. You should be ready to go at five forty-five. But also, you should expect that some people aren't going to show up till six forty-five. Um, so, you at six o'clock, you shouldn't have dinner on the table. You know, already plated and waiting for people to come in and take their seats. It doesn't work like that. Uh, but also, yeah, you shouldn't be getting out of the shower at six because people are probably people are going to arrive through probably about a you know window of. 30 to 60 minutes, right? Yeah, and, and uh, there's something in the military, I'm sure it's not germane only to the Marine Corps, but this idea of time creep. You know, I want my guests to be there at 6, so I'm going to tell them it starts at 5. You know, no. It, it's big boy rules here. If you want people to arrive at 6, tell them it's at 6. You know, you don't need to, to time creep people. Even if, you, you know, what we've done is we've had people that in the past, if we have an event at our home at 6, and they don't show up till seven forty-five. 
when everything's winding down and they do this habitually, they don't get an invitation anymore and they get removed from the circle. And I hate to say it that way, but it's like you're being disrespectful of the get my guests. You're de- being disrespectful of my home. You're being disrespectful of my time. You're being disrespectful of the meal that we've prepared for you. And then you just don't get to come back. What do you think? I, yeah, totally agree. Totally. <laughs> Could not agree more strongly with that, man, especially a meal that you've put a lot of love and time and attention into. It's It, it sucks for <laughs> someone not to show up for that or not to show up on time. Well, yeah, and this one particular set of, uh, and they were just peripheral friends. They weren't someone that we were very close to, but we, we felt that, you know, eh, we share friends in common and, you know, they're nice enough. And, and after this happened like two or three times in a row, and I mentioned something to them, uh, to the to the husband, and he was kind of like, yeah, this is what me and S- Susie do. You know, it's kind of our thing. I'm like, okay, well, cool. Do your thing somewhere else, man. You're not going to do it here. Disrespectful. All right. <laughs> Sorry to go off on a rant, but this really pisses me off. And you can you can also use a lot of the information in the show to, to find out how to be a good guest at something like this. this. This goes both ways. It absolutely goes both ways. And... and yeah, let's. Anything else on that before we get into dinner? Because I think this is where you can really uh, shine. Maybe uh, I, I, I think that's it, man. Let's talk about dinner. Uh, when you when you're cooking something, uh, obviously, is this something do you want to do a one dish meal? Is that too too easy? I mean, I know you want to maybe be a little easy on yourself and your guests. What are your thoughts here? Well, I, I don't know that necessarily it has to be a one-dish meal, uh, but I am going to capitalize on a couple of things. I'm going to capitalize on stuff that I can make ahead and just kind of have that just needs to be warmed up or can be served cold or, you know, like maybe uh, maybe some uh, blanched asparagus spears might be awesome served cold with just some Parmesan cheese and a little oil and vinegar over them or something like that. I can throw that in the fridge and then just throw it, you know, it can be served cold with dinner. Um, my, you know, my mashed potatoes can can be made right before everyone starts to arrive or I can be finishing that up as, as people are starting to trickle in and that can kind of just sit there and, and stay warm uh, until I'm ready. I want to leverage things that I can, if possible, make in advance. I don't want to have to be wed to the kitchen the entire time my guests are there not actually get to enjoy my guests. One other thing on that is I want to make something, I, I absolutely don't want to make something that is my very freaking first time making it. No, I, I agree with that. That's that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also like, and I see in your notes here, and this is a great one, I'm going to highlight this, don't cook something that consumes your attention. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, l- like I was saying there, I'm uh, one thing I'm not going to make at a dinner party for more you know, if it's, if I'm having a, you know, a romantic night with Kai, I might make risotto. But the the thing about risotto is you got to stand there stirring that thing 20 to 30 minutes and you're not really doing anything else except focusing on that risotto. I'm not going to make risotto uh, fresh when I have a big group of people over because that's all I'm going to, I'm going to be in the kitchen stirring a pan for 20 to 30 minutes and not enjoying my guests. I'm going to make something that I can put on the stove or throw in the oven, turn it on set a timer and know I've got 30 minutes before I need to be back in there. I don't want to be tied to the to the stove. Yeah, and I will tell you that when you were down here some time ago, you know, we went out and we shopped together, uh, you and Kai and me and Lisa. We we went and got all the ingredients. We came back and uh, you made, I think, of shepherd's pie. And 
we were all part of the cutting up the carrots and getting the peas together and the whole thing. And we're just drinking wine and enjoying our company as we made this meal and watched you guys prepare it. And, and that to me, although not maybe a formal dinner get together with friends, it really was. And, and the act of creating that meal and consuming that meal together was, was something really special. So I'd say something like that is not outside the realm of possibility. If you have a small intimate setting, like maybe just one or two other couples, would you agree with that? Absolutely, man. Yeah, I, I I do enjoy that. I do enjoy working in the kitchen with with other people, and you know, um, Kai and I kind of have a flow in the kitchen. I, I really appreciate working with her because we like I don't know we're both just kind of on the same page, and being able to share that with with you and Lisa was awesome. Uh, but if I had you know five couples over. I wouldn't want to do that because five couples aren't all going to be in the kitchen. They're they're going to be out in the living room drinking and talking and pairing off in their little groups and whatever. And probably just going to be me and that one dude that hates his wife in the kitchen <laughs> hanging out with me, right? Yeah, and I think it goes back to scalability of what we're talking about here. Uh, you can scale this down or up. And if you start scaling up with a size, I don't let it consume your attention. That's where that rule comes into play because, I've again, I've been to that party where – they're cooking the freaking meal and they've got a house full of guests and, and we're all like, what in the hell is going on here? Uh, you knew about, you You set this date weeks in advance. Now here we are and literally you guys are in the kitchen for an hour preparing the meal. So if you can have as much of it pre-made as possible, do that, which is one of the things we mentioned about a one dish meal. Like uh, you got the salad prepped, it's in the fridge and you've got lasagna in the oven. So when it comes out, it's a one dish one dish and done, except for the, you know, you're adding the salad in there, but, and then also it makes your house smell really good, which is something else we have in the notes. Can you, can you add a little bit to that? Yeah, man, there, that's going to prime people for dinner when they walk in the house and it smells like an amazing roast beef, or it smells like whatever it is that just makes your house smell freaking awesome. And to your point there about lasagna or shepherd's pie, those are things that you can do all the prep work for that morning, uh, basically set it out on the counter an hour before everybody gets there. And then when everybody starts showing up, you throw it in the oven and let it either warm back up or cook, whatever it needs to do, um, but requires very, very little attention from you. And as long as you're keeping an eye on it and the top's not burning, there's very little that can go wrong with that dish once once it's made. Those, those are two awesome examples, Rich. Um, I'm going to post a link to this in the show notes, but um, one thing that I'm very fond of making for guests is homemade pasta sauce. And I've got a pasta sauce recipe that is nothing more than three ingredients. And it, it, it's basically hand-crushed San Marzano tomatoes. I'll buy canned San Marzano tomatoes, crush those by hand in the pot, I'll throw uh, some butter in there, and I'll throw half an onion in there, and I'm going to throw that onion away when that thing's done cooking. You would not believe the flavor you get out of those three very, very simple ingredients. It's absolutely unbelievable, man. Well, and and to your point, uh, you know, this this, uh, podcast is all about making you competent and dangerous, and and you want to highlight your competency, cook a freaking meal like this for someone, man, and you will absolutely knock their socks off, right? Absolutely, man. And uh, salad is another. So um, that's another thing that I want to talk about just a little bit. That's a thing that you can have completely pre-prepared before everybody gets there. You can can do this one of a couple different ways. You can have a big bowl of salad, 
with everything in it. If you're using croutons, you probably don't want to put those in too early because they're going to soak up moisture and get soggy. But you can have that salad ready with everything in it. All you got to do is throw it on the table, dress it, and start serving people. You can have individual bowls of salad ready to go. Uh, and I would say, whatever, regardless of how you're choosing to go about this, one thing I would recommend is have some individual salad components set aside for that one person that doesn't like blue cheese or doesn't like croutons or doesn't like this dressing or whatever. Um, don't commit all your salad resources to this one thing unless you know for a fact that everybody likes that one thing. Have a little bit set aside. Agreed. So that's cocktail hour, man. When it's uh, time to start serving dinner, you want to round your guests up get them to the table, probably want to serve that salad, let people eat their salad, and then start uh, collecting those salad plates or bowls or whatever you've got, uh, and then start, uh, or you can serve, uh, you know, your salad, your main course concurrently, totally up to you, um, but yeah, that's uh, that's dinner in a nutshell, man, and uh, one thing I'd say on this, don't try to rush it, don't try to, uh, you know, don't try to uh, get through it as fast as you can. That's to me. That's one of the most enjoyable things when everybody's around the table and there's conversation going on, and you know you're passing the bread. And I, I love that, man. Yeah, and let's. I know we're going to talk about serving next, uh, just briefly. But I'd also say place settings. It's not necessarily in our outline, but this is one of those things that really upped my game. Uh, being around these folks that had PhDs is that. You know, the, the place settings, the linen napkins, the nice silverware. Um, the silverware that you will buy at like Walmart is really thin and flimsy. And I noticed that the silverware that they it was it was weighted. It was very, um, very nice silverware. So it felt really good in your hand. The, the linen napkins were placed. They were very nice. It's just those nice touches that that don't really cost you anything. You know, you can pick up some nice linen napkins at say TJ Maxx or something like that. One of those, uh, high end clothes, Stein Mart or some high end closeout place and, and some really nice silverware will really up your game. Also, if, if this is a, just a one-off event and you, you know, you've got a couple of friends and you're using paper plates, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but if this is something that you do want to impress, uh, you want to put you and your family in the best possible light. I don't think it hurts to have some nice, some nice silverware, uh, some nice plates, some nice linen napkins, maybe light some candles, things of that nature. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but if the heavy, well, obviously to a point, but heavy silverware. Uh, makes your food makes you perceive the food as actually tasting better. I did not know that, but I've been a fan of heavy silverware, and it's 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 kind of hard to find. Uh, I I got on that kick probably I don't know close to fifteen twenty years ago, and you know it's, it was maddening for my wife for a while because I was like, nah, don't have the right weight, take it back. Uh, but yeah, I really uh, I don't know, man. I, I'm kind of weird about that. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, one thing on this, like this doesn't have to be a, a linen napkin and, you know, bring out the good silver uh, affair. Like even if you're, you know, even if you're uh, kind of back on serving, even if you're doing family style dinner where you're putting a couple pots on the table and kind of passing the plates around and whatever, having this format of cocktail hour, what again, doesn't have to be alcoholic, but, you know, everybody shows up, mingles, eats some appetizers, has a drink or two, then everybody sits down. Just having this format makes this thing flow smoothly. It's not just, 
an arbitrary thing of, uh, of it has to be this way. It gives people something to do while they're waiting for everybody to get there. And then they sit down for dinner and it, it's just a, a good flow for the whole thing. So, uh, you need to decide whether you're going to, you know, again, serve everybody from, uh, from the kitchen and, you know, put everybody's salad bowl on their, you know, on their place setting and then sit down and eat salad and then take all those up and then go, you know, serve everybody their, their entree, their main course, whatever it is, plate that and take it out to them. Are you going to have this, uh, you know, be more buffet style? Is it going to be family style? Um, basically you need to know that kind of ahead of time, how you're going to run that. Yeah, totally. And I would say also when it comes to, uh, before we get into dessert and stuff like that, my wife and I will normally get up and we'll take our guests plates and, and stuff to the, to the kitchen, something that they don't have to get up and walk you know, with like, where am I going with this? What do you mean to do? Am I supposed to wash it off and put it in the, what, what do I do? So I think it's just a nice gesture of, Hey, I'll take that for you. And you get up and you take it in there. What say you? Absolutely agreed, man. Okay. Where do we go next? All right. So, uh, next I think, uh, let's talk about dessert real quick. It's, uh, anytime I'm having anyone over for dinner, I really like to be able to offer, uh, some little dessert and it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to, <clears throat> you don't have to bake a cake or, uh, make creme brulee or, or whatever, but just having uh, some little uh, some little dessert to kind of punctuate the meal is, I, I think, a really nice touch. Yeah, I totally agreed. And if if you're going to do that, having some decaf or, or regular c- uh, coffee queued up in the in the espresso maker or the Keurig is probably a good idea as well. Yeah, uh, or or the AeroPress, you whatever you're. Uh, <laughs> True. So, uh, yeah, being able to being able to offer some coffee is is not a bad thing. One thing I will say on dessert is this sh- shouldn't be a situation where you have to go back into the kitchen and cook for forty minutes to make this dessert happen. Um, you know, if you want to take your torch out and caramelize the sugar on top of your creme brulee, that's that's fine if that's what you're making. But uh, this should be something that's pretty much pre made. Um, everybody eats, you take up all their plates, you give them just a, you know, a couple of minutes to sit there and, uh, and, and chat, resume conversation after dinner. This should be pretty much ready to go. You ideally, this would, all you got to do is bring it out and set it on the table in front of them or, or, you know, on individual plates or let them serve themselves from the, you know, cut a slice of cake or whatever it is. This should be ready to go before, before dinner, right? Yeah, and it, it doesn't have to be crazy. I mean, this could be something that, you know, it's you've while you were eating, there was a, a thing of cookies in the oven. You know, pull them out, they're fresh, they're hot, pass them around, put them on a plate and pass them around. Or it could be like I know that you make a really kick-ass uh, key lime pie. It's been sitting in the fridge, iced down, ready to go. You pull it out right after you put the plates away and you're ready to go. So I, I, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, all good examples there. Um, or, you know, Kai's... Kai's cupcakes. I really like oh, single yeah, serve yeah. things for des- Yeah. I really like single serve things for dessert, but but yeah, a pie, a, a cake, something like that. Absolutely, man. Um, uh, uh, let's talk about the cupcakes, man, because those are incredibly yeah. um, impressive. Uh, and everyone can be a little bit distinct if they're handmade um, and they're single serving. You know, they're not messy. They come individually wrapped. That's a, that's a kick-ass thing to do for dessert. Totally. Yeah, and and the listener probably doesn't know this, but Kai is a a very accomplished baker. Um, she's man, she can whip up a batch of cupcakes that will knock your socks off in in thirty minutes. Man, it's unreal to me. Yeah, totally. So, um, all right. So we've we've 
gotten everybody there. We picked our guests out. We've gotten everybody there, had a little cocktail hour with some hors d'oeuvres going around. <clears throat> we've gotten everyone settled for dinner. We've served them. They've eaten. They've had dessert. They've had coffee if they wanted it. Uh, now we need to worry about getting everybody home, right? Yep. So everybody there is a grown-ass adult, presumably. Um and ultimately, they're they're responsible for their own safety. But as the guest, or as the host, rather, um, you should accept a little bit of responsibility for that. And one thing I, I, I would say on this is don't be afraid to discuss with people how they're going to get home before like before this party even starts. If, if it's your neighbors and they're going to walk two doors down, then, man, let them sit there and get hammered. <laughs> uh, but if, if they got to drive 40 minutes across town to get home that night... <clears throat> Probably want to have that, you know, not, you know, you don't have to be their parent, but um, if if they're, but if they're getting tuned up from, from minute one, you probably want to have that conversation with them, right? Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, and, and and that conversation is going to be, you know, it's going to be whatever it needs to be based on that person. You know, this is something that I never really had to worry about too much because a lot of our friends lived on base and they knew that they were going to have to go through the main gate and deal with the gate guard. So they, and you know, they were, uh, they knew that it was a career ender if they got a DUI or something like that. So they were definitely overcautious, but I know a lot of you guys and gals know that guy who is going to come in and if there's an opportunity for free booze, is probably going to burn it down, man. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that guy's going to be at probably every, well, He's going to be at a lot of different parties. Uh, I would, I would, you know, Uber is a is a big thing. But if you live in an area where there's taxis, like you can't use that other person's Uber account, but you might want to have that uh, that uh, taxi company's phone number handy. That's probably not a bad thing to have if you got people uh, and and maybe offer to pay for it, man. There, that sucks, and they're probably going to feel bad about that in the morning. But it's it's definitely better than somebody getting a DUI or or getting hurt or hurt hurting someone else. Um, and then, you know, through the course of the party, uh, don't don't overserve people, and maybe encourage people to uh, to be a little responsible. Um, you know, if that you know if that dad of that family of four is on his sixth beer by eight o'clock, you might want to be like, hey, uh, hey, Kevin, how are you guys getting home tonight, man? Uh, you know, maybe his wife's driving home, maybe his sixteen-year-old kid's driving home, whatever it is, but. Um, you maybe maybe encourage that person to be a little bit responsible if they're the party that's driving themselves or their family home. And then, uh, you know, one thing that we like to do is um, we've got an extra set of sheets that we can throw on the couch. We've got, you know, some extra pillows and stuff. We don't have a big place, and we can't accommodate more than one person here, but uh, that that guy, if he shows up, that's uh, that that's an option too. Yeah, and one of the things that we did uh, at this most recent Christmas party that comes to mind is we knew that guy. You know, this is the third Christmas party. He's gotten hammered <laughs> the last two, and it, it was an issue. So this year it's like, hey, not a problem. You're not driving. Uh, so-and-so is going to come by and pick you up, and he's going to take you home at the end of the night. And we didn't have to say why. He's just like, oh, okay. You know, and, and so when he did get inebriated like we knew he would, it was not a problem to say, hey, man, hop in so-and-so's car. He's going to take you home. We have to worry about it. That's a fantastic idea, man. I really like that. Okay, anything else, man, um, before we move into some pro tips? I, I think that about covers it, dude. Okay, so the first one you have on here is be prepared to take coats. And that's a great one. Um, 
A lot of people will throw them on a bed in the back room, but I, what we will try to do is in a foyer, we have a, um, a closet and we'll just take our crap out of there so that it makes it a lot more easy for them to hang their own coat or for us to take it and then hang it in there. What have you seen? Yeah, absolutely, Rich. That kind of sounds like a silly little thing until until you're at a party and no one tells you what to do or your coat or offers to take it or whatever. And I I hadn't really noticed this or had a plan for it until I until Kai and I started having people over. And Kai is really, really good about that. Hey, let me get your coat. She hangs it up in the coat closet and, you know, people know where it is. They, you know, it's out of the way, whatever. Definitely, man, this is this is a thing that you want to think about. It's a really, really easy thing to overlook. And I've overlooked it for years, but really nice thing to do when people start showing up. Yeah, totally. Um, the next one you have here is have all your dishes clean when everyone gets there. Sounds like a no brainer, but evidently there's something to that, right? So dude, I am militant about this. If anybody's coming over, I want, I'm going to run the dishwasher that afternoon. I'm going to clean it out and anything that gets dirtied up before they get there is going to get washed and dried and put away. Cause once you start serving people, man, you, you don't want to have to be like, Oh shit, we got to, pull some plates out of the dishwasher and hand wash them because we're out of plates. You want to have everything clean before everybody gets there. And the other thing you got to realize is you're going to dirty up a lot of freaking dishes and need to have that dishwasher empty or need to have the counter space empty. Or, or also, if you don't have a dishwasher, you don't just want to have a bunch of dirty dishes piled on the counter when people show up. Uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm pretty hardcore about this, man. I want everything clean if you know, if more than like one person's coming over. Yeah, the next one, and I just added this, so it's maybe not in the notes, is parking. Uh, if you live in a place where parking is kind of wonky or weird, like I, I have a farm here, so it's it's not a problem, but we've certainly lived in places, whether it was an apartment or uh, a neighborhood with a weird cul-de-sac, you know, it's like, where am I supposed to park? And the other thing is directions. <clears throat> You know, in the days before GPS, sometimes you'd get directions like uh, head north on 25 and get off at exit 317. Okay, cool. But that assumes that I'm coming from the same direction that you think I'm coming from. And I've I've had one of my commanding officers says, yeah, he gave me directions like that. And I ended up in another state before I figured out I'd gone too far. So um, I think having, I've printed out directions before when I was having a conference and I invited the attendees back to the house. Everybody got a a nice map, you know, and specific parking instructions and gate codes if there was those types of things. What have you seen with that, Justin? Yeah, I've, I've seen good examples of that and bad examples of that. And I'm really glad you added that to this because the apartment that we live in has a really weird parking situation. And that's something we're very cognizant of. And I don't know that I would be as aware of that were I not in this uh like in this place where parking is really, really weird, but yeah, you definitely want to let your people know how to get there. And, you know, again, not just have that bias of assuming that everybody's coming from the same direction that you're coming from. Yeah. And if there's a a neighbor that like, man, if you park in front of his house, he's going to be beating on the door, let them, let everybody know about that in advance. Don't park in his position. So, and the other thing, if there's people that have to leave earlier than another group of people, I think you can put them off to the side so that they can get in and out with not a problem. But those are things that can also that can take the fun out of the party when it's like, you know, the Smiths have to leave. Get 50 people need to move their car. So uh, that can be a real buzzkill. So definitely think that through in advance. 
The other thing is, what if you're, what if this is an outdoor event? What are some things they need to consider? So, uh, if it's an outdoor event, um, you need to, you need to plan for contingencies. You need to probably know the mosquito situation in your area and have plans to mitigate that. If that's a situation, if it's a situation of you have neighbors on the other side of your fence, that's going to be banging on your door. If the noise gets above 110 decibels, you probably need to be aware of that. Uh, I would say you absolutely need to have a rainout plan. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the final thing I, I've added here is music. You know, I think it's often overlooked. And it was, again, I go back to uh, the parties that I went to that I really learned from. And, you know, I'd be like, man, what is this music you're playing? I really love it. And it broadened my horizons to things that I wouldn't normally think that I would enjoy, whether it's Sting or Sinatra or Etta James. Uh, another one, I went to a party one time and, and uh the music selection was phenomenal. It was absolutely perfect for the group and the setting and the lighting. Everything was well done. And I asked my friend later, I said, what was that CD you playing? Was that a mixtape? He says, well, the W Hotel, which is a really swanky uh, hotel uh, chain. Uh, there's a few of them at least. They produce a CD of the stuff that they play in the lobby. So he bought one of those CDs and I, of course, ripped it down. And now I throw it in for some of our parties. But it's... Uh, Stuff like that, I think, is often overlooked if you really want to set a mood. Now, of course, it doesn't need to be too loud and overpowering because people will try to talk over that background music. But I think having some music pre-planned and that you can put on is probably a good idea. And that's the thing that I always overlook, a thing that Kai is good at that <laughs> that just completely goes unnoticed by me. Like, I, like I'll never think of it. But, uh, yeah, one thing on volume, you don't want it super, super quiet where people are straining to hear it. Um but you also don't want it too loud where it either drowns out conversation or force, forces people to get very loud with conversation. Great points there, man. Yeah, that's all I have, brother. Book of the week? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the book of the week this week is In Defense of Food by Michael Pollan. And this kind of dovetails a little bit with this episode. And basically, Pollan goes into great detail on his three rules of food. And I've talked about these before, but basically they're eat food not too much, mostly plants. And he, he gets very, very detailed about kind of how we've perverted our food system and most of the stuff we eat is uh, better living through chemistry. Most of the produce we eat is selected not for its nutritional value or its taste, but really how it looks on the shelf and how well it ships and how long it survives uh, storage and transportation. And basically, he arrives at these three food rules, and you can buy a book called Food Rules, which is basically a condensed version of this. But uh, his his rules, eat food, basically means you know nothing minimally processed stuff, not packaged food, uh, things with no more than five ingredients, uh, no ingredients with more than let's say three syllables, nothing your grandmother wouldn't recognize as food if you put it by itself on the table in front of her. So. Uh, uh, a good example, cheese contains typically milk and some sort of cheese culture and salt, and that's fine. But if it contains monosaturated, hydrogenated, whatever, if you put monosaturated, hydrogenated, whatever on a plate in front of your grandma, she probably would have no, and for that matter, you probably would have no idea what that is. So stay away from things like that. Uh, don't eat too much. Uh, kind of a no-brainer there. And uh, stick to mostly plants. Uh, you know, he, he's not advocating vegetarianism. And he is certainly not a vegetarian. Uh, he's a very dedicated uh, meat eater. But, um, 
uh, meat should, uh, he contends that meat should be treated more as a, uh, uh, um, I guess a little bit more as a side dish than as the, uh, the main course, the whopping 96 ounce, uh, T-bone It's probably not the, not the absolute best model, but phenomenal book. If you want to, this is kind of shaped how I eat and how I think about food. If you want to, uh, learn a little bit more about where your food comes from, he talks a lot about how, you know, this kind of scientific devotion to making the food system more efficient to the producer's bottom line, but less efficient for our bodies. Check this thing out, man. I cannot recommend it highly enough. This is one of my absolute favorite books. Oh yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. I'll, really interested in Michael Pollan's stuff. Um, anything else, man? If not, I'll take us out. Take us out, man. All right, brother. Hey, guys and gals, thanks for listening to Across the Peak. Check out acrossthepeak.com for show notes and additional content. Also, follow us on Instagram, man. Kai is kicking ass with our social media, and I want to share that with you. So check us out at Across the Peak. And we invite you to check out our store as well and support the show by supporting the brand. Please tell someone about Across the Peak. We want to reach everyone that we possibly can with this content. And the best way to do that is to spread the word. And if you've been spreading the word and really love the show, then I encourage you to give us an iTunes review because that's how that little weird Apple algorithm, that's how that uh, it gets in other people's feed. So until next week, remember, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous. You've been listening to the Across the Peak podcast. Be sure to visit acrossthepeak.com for show notes and bonus content. Until then, be safe. And if you can't be safe, be dangerous. Be dangerous.